Oh, hello, kids. And welcome to episode number six of the Eager Beaver podcast, a podcast providing incisive commentary on Canadian politics and general culture. Today, recording day is Sunday, May 30th, 2021, and it has been a perfectly warm and sunny spring day here at the Beaver Lodge, which is nice as some of the past few days have offered hot chocolate drinking weather. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, and I am as happy as a lark that you, my dearest kids, have decided to drop in and spend some time with us yet again this week. Whether you have recently been hidden in the reopened tennis courts as I have, or are enjoying a cold one outdoors as Mr. Grizzly does, all are welcome. Of course, a big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com, who have all maintained their valuable support. Because it's always nice to have people who pat you on the back and say, good on ya, eh? And I will say it, because I do believe in giving credit when it's due. On a purely selfish note, thank you to Premier Doug Ford for allowing tennis to be played again. This may be a rare time, kits, when you hear me say, thank you, Premier Ford, but let this forever stand as proof that I am indeed capable of it. <laughs> On today's episode, in the news today, kits, we'll have our usual cross-Canada COVID update. Things really are looking better. Our lead story for discussion this week is undeniably the biggest Canadian news story in some time. The discovery of an unmarked burial site at a residential school in British Columbia. And we will do a roundup of recent bits of news of interest to us, but for which we hadn't yet found time or room in previous episodes. And we'll finish the show with a show of gratitude to kind kids who have supported us again, listener feedback, and a few, well, curious and lighter bits of those same bits of news we hadn't had time to get to. So, kids, put on your sneakers, and let's do this thing, because here we go! So, before we go any further, it's time to welcome this podcast's kind and benevolent co-captain, my friend, and now yours, Mr. Grizzly. Hello, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver. How you doing? I am doing stellar. Outstanding. <laughs> I like to hear that. Yes. Very good. Uh, word on the tweet is that there's video evidence that you've been feeling better. Yes, I um, posted a video of myself at the age of 52, soon to be 53, dancing around my living room in my underwear with a headphone microphone on. Because <laughs> I woke up feeling like myself again. The, Yay! Uh, all the depression is behind me, so. Um, fingers crossed it stays that way. Even spoke to the doctor about my meds, and he says, uh, let's not increase them just yet. And he says, uh, ease back on the spicy food, drink a little less beer during the week. And uh, try and continue to get your six hours sleep. And he says, and if you can do your meditation, your daily meditation, which I actually do every day. I, I take 45 minutes to an hour every day. Sometimes it's very early in the morning when I get up because I, I usually get up around 4 or 5 a.m. Uh, but sometimes I wait till the end of the day when, you know, all the day stresses are in your head. And then I take some time to myself to meditate and just get them all out. Mm, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard about that, actually. A, a friend told me that, you know, when you have uh you know legitimate worries like carve out some time to worry this is the time i'm going to worry about it and then the rest of the day i'm going to put it aside so i can get through my day because exactly sometimes sometimes you do have reason to worry <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's true it's true but uh, you know it's just learning how to compartmentalize right so it's like save the worry for the end of the day and then i can concentrate on on getting rid of it with the meditation oh well, that's wonderful because when I saw the video, I was, oh, yes, this brings joy. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the idea. I had a few people go, dude, I can't believe you did that. And I'm going, did I make you laugh? Yeah. Then I did exactly what I set out to do. I wanted to bring a smile to your face. I had one friend. She's like, you dance like such a white boy. I'm like, well, that was the intention. I wasn't trying to be funky. I was trying to be goofy dancing in my underwear. It was not meant to be, hey, look at how cool I am. It was, the whole thing was jerky, herky, jerky, goofy. That was the whole point of it. <laughs> oh, I liked it. <laughs> awesome. 
Uh, shall we get to do the shall we get to the news? Yes, that's probably a very good idea. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's do it. Coast to coast to coast COVID roundup. On the COVID front, the cresting that had just started, discussed on episode four, appears not only to be holding, but gaining momentum. Still, the situation is rather uneven. The national seven-day rolling active cases number continues to drop from between 50 and 60,000 about three weeks ago today, May 30th, to about 36,511 days ago to just under 21,000 today. That's on the right track. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. While the number has been cut by over 50%, it is no time for complacency, however, Canada, as we still have much work to do. Things are going well in the north, with both Yukon and the now, and now the Northwest Territories being the only COVID-free jurisdictions in Canada at the time of recording, with Nunavut having only 10 cases as its recent flare-up abates. PEI is also doing well with only two cases. And speaking of the Northwest Territories, we are thinking of you if you are one of the roughly 600 residents of Aklavik evacuating to Inuvik due to the rising Mackenzie River. Uh, may the elders remain safe. Indeed. Newfoundland and Labrador and New Brunswick are still managing little flare-ups with 148 cases between them. The situation on the rock is particularly concerning as a certain number of those cases are of the recently identified B1617 variant from India. Both the curves in British Columbia and Quebec continue to downslope, though more slowly with rolling seven-day cases numbers between 2,200 and 2,900. It is important to note that British Columbia is the place where has been identified the greatest number of B1617 variant cases in Canada so far, between 40 and 60. The same goes for Ontario, where the rolling seven-day cases numbers just dropped into quadruple digits for the first time in what seems like forever on May 29th. Premier Ford does seem to have a scientifically sound reopening plan, with three-week wait intervals between each reopening effort to monitor what each does to case counts. Um, note, this is what we had called for at the True North Eager Beaver from day one when talk of reopening happened during the first wave, given what we knew then about incubation periods. Um, I'm sure this is advice that he was given then, given he was given it now. I don't know why he did not heed it, but better late than never, I guess. Stubborn as a mule. Yes, better <sighs> late than never. Yeah. The thing is that impatience and a fetish for expediency have been the hallmarks of the Canadian conservative movement for nearly two decades now. So whether the premier will have the discipline to pass the marshmallow test appears to be that on which the success of this effort hinges. In addition, it was announced that Dr. Kieran Moore, head of public health in, in Kingston, who has been doing a fantastic job there, will be taking over from Dr. David Williams, who many wanted to see go and had his retirement planned for some time at the end of June. They will work side by side until Williams' official retirement day, so it seems there will be a good transition. That's good news. Yeah. Uh, the persistence of COVID in the three prairie provinces is disheartening, yet unsurprising. Mm -hmm. Though a May 20th Main Street poll of 1,010 Albertans revealed that 55% of them answered yes to the question, should Jason Kenney resign immediately? Ouch. It appears that Albertans themselves have really committed to hitting hard and hitting fast in the first few weeks as its rolling seven-day active cases number dropped by over 50%. So good on you, Albertans. Mm -hmm. However, that drop was to 3,223 cases, which is still ridiculously high mm -hmm. and still higher per capita than Ontario's current rate of infection, which means this thing is far from over if you're in Wild Rose country. We're not going to vaccinate our way out of it. No. This makes Premier Bumbles the Donuts recent premature, premature enunciation that Alberta is lining up to get back to normal and, and we'll have, have the best summer ever. Centered around making a maskless Calgary stampede happen on July 9th. Um, Nuts. 
That's a terrible idea. They're like, oh, it's 100,000 people over the course of... No, it's 100,000 people a day. Have you ever seen Stampede? It's effectively a giant orgy for two weeks. <laughs> oh, oh, dude, I'm not kidding. Like, really? people in Calgary, I have friends who live there and they know... Uh, the cases of um, STIs go through the roof during that two-week period. I'm not kidding. It's basically a free-for-all during that day. Hey, anybody in Calgary listening in, tell me I'm wrong. Wow. It sounds like uh, the premier had a visit from the bad ideas beers. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Jeez. Oh, my. Uh, Not only that, kiddies, but word on the tweet is that Bumble's in a really flipping stupid move will even be pressuring Ottawa to allow for international travel into Calgary for the event. Genius. Yeah, we know what's going on here though, right? Right? Because this is pre-positioning. So in case like the case numbers go up a little bit. Let's blame Ottawa. Doesn't get the attendance you want. Well then, you know, the Calgary Stampede didn't fail because, you know, Kenny mismanaged this. No, no, no. It's somebody else's fault. Travelers in. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's always somebody else's fault. But it's, uh, uh, always pre-preparing the blame, right? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Setting yeah. the table, right? That's he's got time for that. He needs to learn how to put on big boy pants and accept responsibility for his uh, inabilities to manage. That's like your priorities are the things from which he makes time. He's made time to already lay the groundwork for his excuse. Oh yeah, I have friends who know this man. They're friends with him. And I'm like, don't talk to me about him because I hate him with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. I think the man's an idiot. I think he's dangerous. I think he's a Christo fascist. I said, I think I'm not making an accusation. These are my thoughts, right? Difference Mm -hmm. there. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, He he doesn't make my heart dance with joy. (laughs) I'm not doing cartwheels at this end. No doubt. Uh, also, word on the tweet is that many people are saying that fireplace behind him is located in the Sky Palace. And I'm muttering, creator, please tell me this man is a dumb enough to have literally been <laughs> delivering edicts from on high while simultaneously chastising myself. Oh, come on, Beaver, you know that wet noodle's dumb enough. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> oh. Kenny wants to open borders. Ford still thinks someone is listening when he says they should be closed. Kind of makes you wonder if he and Ford are on speaking terms anymore, eh? Uh, <sighs> God, it's, it's, it's a good thing that the prime minister is just like staying right above it, eh? Yeah, no He's kidding. not taking the bait. These people don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. It's, it's pretty obvious. One guy's over here being a xenophobic asshole. Doug Ford saying, we got to close the borders. We got to close the borders. Meanwhile, he just admitted the other day that most of the outbreaks have been in congregate living situation, schools and warehouses. Well, what's that Mm -hmm. got to do with the bloody border then? Nothing. And then you got another guy in the West who's going like, open the borders. So no, they don't have a plan. (sighs) Alberta kids, as we say it before, your man is not thinking your man is no good. I get that he's trying to satisfy both the reasonable people, reasonable people of Alberta and the wackadoodle wing. And I get that his, it's going to be the best summer ever. Alberta. Heck yeah. Yeehaw. Woohoo. Pew, pew, pew. Stick is juicy red meat political theater to stave off revolt. But dude here needs to take his own advice and pick a lane. Because right now the wife ain't buying it and neither is the mistress. In Saskatchewan, it appears Premier Slomo is perfectly content to watch his citizens get sick so long as they don't push ICU capacity above whatever percentage makes it a news story. Though he's allegedly been working on this over the past month, the rolling seven-day cases number there has gone from about 1,700 to 1,300 to 1,100 to 974. That's, that's an improvement, but still. <sighs> He seems not at all interested in making sure his people don't take ill and is just making COVID last and last and last. It and keeps last. going and going. Okay, exactly. I just you you read my mind. It's like, oh my God, it's just like 
the battery bunny. The Energizer bunny you do not want. Nope. <laughs> not only that, but as of today, even though he's one of the top, Saskatchewan's one of the top four COVID jurisdictions, private gatherings of up to 10 people and wait for it, indoor, yes, 21 or so days from the official start of summer, indoor fitness classes are good to go. Okay. Yeah. Bad idea, jeans. Like, oh my goodness. I'm trying to respect my commitment to Kit Norman to keep my potty mouth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I, yeah. Right it's there so with hard. you. I'm right it's there so with hard. you. It's so hard. Once again, compare and contrast Premier Mo's response to that of Nova Scotia Premier Ian Rankin, who dealt with a come-out-of-nowhere spike that pushed cases in that province to a per capita rate of that of Saskatchewan at its worst, with a hit-hard, hit-fast approach started on April 28th and expanded shortly after. The massive flare-up in Canada's Ocean Playground province has already halved itself between episodes three and four of the show, and more than halved itself again over the next 10 days to stand at 317. So it's not that it can't be done. Mm -hmm. It's just that the Prairie Premiers don't want to. No, they're afraid of offending their base. Well, I think the base is going to be pretty offended when most of them are dead. Mm. Yeah, speaking of the base... Apparently, Jason wants a new one. He actually said he wants a new base. I heard that. Yes, yes. He wants a new base. Well, I want a new base. <laughs> one that won't quit. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the big, 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 big news remains that it is the premier of Costa Manita Borica, Brian Pallister, who is holding Scott Moe, Doug Ford, and Jason Kenny's keg. He appears committed to keeping the province a hellscape. For Pallister so mismanaged COVID that ICUs in Manitoba are at 150% capacity. Over 30 people have been flown to Ontario for care with both Saskatchewan and North Dakota on standby. 20,000 surgeries have been cancelled. Good God. About, about 350 of which are for cardiac valve surgeries, 63 of those which are time-sensitive and may not happen. I, I, and six. Uh, uh, I throw up my hands. Like, <sighs> it's worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. I'm so sorry to say it gets worse. And six so far Manitobans have died from cardiac incidents due to delayed surgeries that could not happen. First, I want to slap him. I want to slap him across the face. That should not have happened. It shouldn't nope. have happened. No. Nope. It was totally preventable. The blood is on his hands. Yeah. First... Premier Pallister tried to blame the overall level of federal government funding for the cardiac health crisis situation because it surely couldn't be the fact that though ICUs are at 150% capacity, and though Pallister has known for about two weeks that beyond worst case scenarios were coming, that Pallister still has non-essential retail open up at to 10% capacity. <clears throat> there was a time when conservatives used to believe in personal responsibility. Well, these are not conservatives. They're reformer right. cons. They're crystal fascists. I'm telling you, this is neither progressive nor conservative. This is just plain stupid. Yep. It's ignorant. I repeat, it's stupid. I repeat, Manitoba is in a beyond worst case scenario, according to the modeling, and he still hasn't shut everything down. Pallister, like Kenny before him, mm -hmm. And Ford, before that, is in a political state to which I scientifically refer after many years of intense political study, of course, as, say it with me, Glub. 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 <laughs> He's deep underwater. Then when Blame Trudeau didn't work, Pallister blamed the people currently in the ICU <sighs> for not having gotten vaccinated early uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> I note here that Manitoba ranks ninth out of Canada's 13th jurisdictions for vaccination rates. So perhaps that's partly his fault too. Yeah. 
This is sadistic. It, it, you know, uh, I couldn't even write something like this. Take it to a movie producer friend of mine and say, let's make this into a film. He's like, no one would ever believe this. This and is depraved indifference. Yet here we are. It, that's exactly what it is. Depraved Gross indifference. Gross negligence. Yep. Yep. D- 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 reckless disregard. You name them. It's that. Oh, this money worshiping douchebags game should be over. Oh yeah. I just. I, oh. But he's got a majority. So down Manitobans go. Oh yeah, and, and apparently somewhere during QP at one point uh, he got mad at uh, opposition minister Wab Kanu and called him an asshole. You know, Had to apologize for that. Uh, Wab is a really good human being, a great yeah. writer, a good broadcaster, a solid, solid guy. So Pallister's just turned into a, a mudslinging uh, bully on the playground. Glub glub. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love makes you do stuff. <sighs> so, as mentioned before, at least 30 patients have been transferred out of province to Ontario with uh, Saskatchewan and North Dakota on standby. And one, a 31-year-old woman named Crystal Musso, died after having been taken off life support at some point after a transfer effort gone wrong. And we were just talking in episode five about whether conservatives are bad for our health. Well, I think the writing is on the wall. Right on cue. Worse yet, according to the family, it objected to both the transfer and removal of life support, but those things were done anyway. You know, I'm, I'm, we're not a litigious society here in Canada. Um, unlike our neighbors to the south, we don't believe in suing for every little thing. But mm. that is a lawsuit that needs to be served. I repeat, the family said no to the transfer. They did it anyway. They said no to removing life support. They did it anyway. And a note for Ontarians. The Ford government also quietly had passed legislation allowing for in-province patient transfers during COVID without family permission. Fear of that happening was a key factor in the series of events leading to the death of 13-year-old Emily Victoria Viegas, which we've talked about mm-hmm. as well. I'm a, ooh, I need to, I need, I need to come down. Yeah. <clears throat> Glass of water. Ooh, take Deep a breath. breath. <clears throat> okay. Manitoba recently recorded its highly daily death total. One hospital is reported to have had oxygen shortage issues. Though the premier extended and expanded some restrictions twice, the test positivity rate in Winnipeg, according to Mayor Brian Bauman, has shot up from a dizzying 8.4% to a catastrophic 14%. That is what overwhelms our healthcare system. That is what happens. People die because of COVID, but people die because if you've been in a car accident and you need a cardiac event, too bad, so sad. There's no room for you. Yeah. They said this would happen. They predicted it, all the modeling pointed to it, and now it's happening, and he's going to turn around and blame Trudeau, isn't he? Yep. And all of that bad news still, still, does not seem to be enough to get Premier Pallister, who assures us he's doing everything he can, to actually not only do everything he can, but do things other premiers have already done, like fully shut down retail or congregate workplace settings like manufacturing or construction or a curfew or 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 he still won't shut down workplace transmission he won't choke off the vectors i i I. but right now it looks like the three prairie stooges pally kenny and mo are determined to walk chin up ass out right into a fourth wave so Keep those masks on, kits, especially in Alberta, where Bubbles the Donut is readying up the province for... The best summer ever, trademark. Why do I have a feeling that is not going to age well? It won't. But seriously, my prairie-based kits, please, please, please do what you need to do to protect yourselves, because clearly your premiers are insisting on sending you the message that you are on your own. 
on the vaccination side. By the time this episode airs, about 24 million doses will have been administered. About 60% of Canadians will have received one dose and about 6%, now over 2 million, will have received two. That's great news. Good news. And other good news, Canada soon will surpass the UK to be the nation in the G7 with the largest share of its citizens vaccinated with the first dose. And better still, an international study indicates Canada may likely end up being the most vaccinated nation as vaccine hesitancy appears to be relatively low here. That's, uh, that makes me feel good. The public education piece on vaccines has been done very well. Mm-hmm. It has. Public Health England reports that the B1617 variant is now the dominant one in the UK for new infections. What with the increased risk the B1617 variant brings and with vaccine supply being solid, Canada is switching it up with Nova Scotia, Manitoba, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and Ontario making a push to get more second doses in quickly. In addition, Nova Scotia is now opening up shots for children 12 and older. Pfizer reports it will be delivering 2.5 million doses per week in June and 9 million doses through July, while Moderna has 100,000 doses coming in this week, 500,000 coming in in two parts during the week of May 31st, and yet 1.5 million more during the week of June 14th. There is enough supply. Mm -hmm. Get your shot. Get your shot. Make time for it. Most workplaces are happy to pay you to go and get it too. Yes. I've, so just, I've, I've seen that in a lot of workplaces. Where like, no, go, go, go get your yeah. shot. We want you protected. We want you to come back and generate income for us. I don't know. <laughs> That's not what they're saying. <laughs> it's not what they're saying. But you know, bottom line and all. It's like, if you don't get vaccinated, who's going to give us tips? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. Apparently, vaccine supply is so good, despite Doug Ford still nonsensically complaining that he doesn't have enough. Did he eat lead paint when he was a kid? Like, come on, man. (laughs) Just can't with this guy anymore. He's a clown. Come on. I mean, good God. (laughs) So supply is so good that dosing intervals in Ontario have dropped from 12 to 10 weeks, and in BC, they've dropped to eight. Ontario will be granting earlier second doses to citizen 80, eight, citizens 80 and over as of next week and 70 and over as of mid-June, with the expectation most everyone will be able to get their second shot before the end of August. So it'll be a two-shot Trudeau summer after all. Two shots. <laughs> Jameson's, <the> please. B1... <laughs> Jameson's, please. Pardon? Jameson's, <laughs> please. I like the Irish whiskey. <laughs> and I said that in a Scotch accent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where the B1617 variant is concerned, there is good news in that the daily infection rate in India has decreased to its lowest rate in 46 days. The bad news is that's still about 165,000 new identified cases per day. But considering they were hitting over 400,000, this is progress. It is progress. And you got to remember, it's a nation of 1.3 billion people. Exactly. New Delhi alone is 29 million plus. That's almost all of Canada in one city. So this is positive. It is very positive. It's it's still high numbers, but it's very positive. Yes. Um, The boogeyman is hanging just around the corner to give you a fright department. A new variant of concern has been identified in Vietnam, which appears to be a hybrid of the variants from the UK and India. Mm-hmm. So again, not an epidemiologist, and I readily admit biases up front that I tend to be overly cautious. But as I said in the special, so far when anybody said we've got it, mm-hmm. we ain't got it. So... better safe than sorry right i mean keep the the masks on yeah keep the masks on we we don't know yet what's coming in other vaccine news a recent study of three hundred thousand people showed that both pfizer and moderna offer about 90 percent protection to fully vaccinated people remember fully vaccinated is two weeks after your second dose Mm -hmm. or one dose if you're taking johnson and johnson but that's not happening yet in canada uh 
and about 70% for one dose vaccinated people. So 90% protection for fully vaccinated people and 70% for one dose vaccinated people for all known variants of concern except B1617, for which there's not enough data yet to tell. Though preliminary data in the UK for fully vaccinated people appears promising on that front. Two-dose protection is a little lower among older recipients, but protection does seem to increase over time. Meanwhile, it appears that though the COVID app was downloaded about 6 million times, only about 3 million Canadians are using it. However, in April alone, it issued 400 alerts, which means 400 potential chains of transmission could be broken, and every bit helps. Finally, it seems that data indicates that the Moderna vaccine is safe for children 12 and up, and it will soon be submitting the data for approval at Health Canada. And that's your Coast to Coast to Coast COVID Roundup. We'll be back after this with our main story. Hi, this is Mr. Grizzly. Telling you that, um, well, I don't have hands. I have paws and claws. But if I had hands, I'd be more than happy to wash them. And if a mask would fit over my giant snout, I'd be happy to wear it. But I live in the woods and climb trees for a living and eat salmon on occasion. You don't do that, so please wash your hands, wear a mask, and remember to stay two meters apart. And if two meters is complicated, that's about the length of two hockey sticks on average. We good? Warning, this next block has disturbing details about the Kamloops Residential School. If you are feeling triggered, the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1-866-925-4419. Kids, one of the more difficult things I have experienced to date with this podcast is finding credible and qualified guests to speak to Indigenous issues. Some are burned out. Some are tired of being the person going on every show to do Indigenous 101. The backlash from saying something clumsily or not being militant enough for the likes of some has made non-Indigenous allies less willing to put their necks out there. I get it. There's a lot of pain out there, and having to relive and rehash it over and over again takes a bite out of you. The public education piece of reconciliation Though vital, though necessary, can be exhausting and depleting for those, the few, who are called upon to do almost all the work. Now, biases up front, according to my mother, there is indigenous blood in my veins, most likely Huron on my mother's side and Mi'kmaq on my father's. I was raised to be proud of that fact, but that's about where it ends. I have no claims. I was raised in Franco-Ontarian culture. I'm a French-Canadian boy. <laughs> I don't know the languages. I definitely don't know enough of the history. But this issue is its just too damn important for those of us of sincere goodwill to remain frozen or mute for fear of saying the wrong thing or perhaps saying the right thing but in the wrong way or whatever combinations of ways we can end up putting our foots in our mouths. Should I make such errors, I am totally open to being gently, respectfully corrected because I'm coming at this with pure heart. I want to learn. I want to grow. Same but here. if that which has been done to our Indigenous peoples in all of ours's name isn't our national shame, then I really don't know what is. So... According to the Canadian press and as found on the APTN News website, quote, the remains of 215 children have been found buried on the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. Chief Roseanne Kazmier of the Tecumloops Tsekwepme First Nation said in a news release Thursday that the remains were confirmed last weekend with the help of a ground-penetrating radar specialist. Kashmir called the discovery an unthinkable loss that was spoken about but never documented at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. 
She said it's believed the deaths are undocumented, although a local museum archivist is working with the Royal British Columbia Museum to see if any records of the deaths can be found. Some of the children were as young as three, she said. This is hard to read. It's hard to hear. <laughs> the school was once the largest in Canada's residential school system. Given the size of the school, with up to 500 students registered and attending at any one time, we understand that this confirmed loss affects First Nations communities across British Columbia and beyond. Kashmir said in the release. The chief said work to identify the site was led by the First Nations Language and Cultural Department alongside ceremonial knowledge keepers who made sure the work that was done was in line with cultural protocols. The leadership of the Tikumlups community acknowledges their responsibility to caretake for these lost children. Kashmir said. Access to the latest technology allows for a true accounting of the missing children and will hopefully bring some peace and closure to those lives lost, she said in the release. The reclamation work was paid for by a Pathway to Healing Provincial Government grant, she said. Kashmir said band officials are informing community members and surrounding communities that had children who attended the school. This is the beginning, but uh, given the nature of this news, we felt it important to share immediately. She said, the First Nations Health Authority called the discovery of the children's remains extremely painful and said in a website posting that it will have a significant impact on the Tikumlups community and in the community served by this residential school. FNHL CEO Richard Jock suggested the situation had the potential to affect First Nations people in BC and across the country. That this situation exists is sadly not a surprise and illustrates the damaging and lasting impacts that the residential school system continues to have on First Nations people, their families, and communities. Jock wrote in his web post, the FNHA said immediate supports for Tukumlup's nation have been identified through its interior health team and its teams are on standby to support further needs. The agency said some of the supports currently available include the Coos Crisis Line, Sautun Lelum Society, and the Indian Residential School Survivor Society. The Kamloops School operated between 1890 and 1969. The federal government took over the operation from the Catholic Church to operate as a day school until it closed in 1978. Wow. It's not that long ago, right? When you think. No, it is not. It's not long ago. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission issued its final report on residential schools more than five years ago. The nearly 4,000-page account details the harsh mistreatment inflicted on Indigenous children and the institutions where at least 3,200 children died amid abuse and neglect. End quote. Now, uh, when I, uh, today I was uh, on Twitter and I, uh, you know, I uh, saw Aaron O'Toole had responded uh, to this, uh, well, you know, as the leader of an opposition would be expected to do to mm -hmm. make a statement about this. And uh, it uh, <laughs> something actually interesting happened because I thought immediately of what he said when he was at uh, Ryerson last November. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody who I interact with on Twitter, has, uh, his name is uh, Angus Anderson. He's a an really cool Inu guy who... Uh, uh, love sharing his culture, you know, and, you know, often has a Inu word of the day so that, you know, you know, we can you know, learn about it. So, you know, mm -hmm. hello, Angus and Nekumik. Um, and he posted something uh, that's, uh, that's, that, that blew my mind. It's uh, from Bishop Vittel Grandin in 1875. Mm -hmm. And it says the goal of residential school, quote, we instill in them a pronounced distaste for the native life so that they will be humiliated when reminded of their origin. When they graduate from our institutions, the children have lost everything native except their blood. 1875. Uh -huh. Stated outright. Mm -hmm. That was right. the plan. This is not along. ambiguous. No, that was the plan all along. Yes. 
Now, Aaron O'Toole, November 2020. Quote, let's learn from the bad mistakes and, in some cases, tragic circumstances of our past. But when Egerton Ryerson was called in by Hector Langevin and people, it was meant to try and provide education. It became a horrible program that really harmed people, and we have to learn from that. And I wear orange, and I do that, but we're not helping anyone by misrepresenting the past. Again, 1875. We instill in them a profound distaste for the native life so that they will be humiliated when reminded of their origin. When they graduate from our institutions, the children have lost everything native except their blood so that they will be humiliated when reminded of their origin. That's the education. That is the education. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, I, 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 speechless. I'm speechless. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, he, he and he volunteered this, right? Mm-hmm. He was there. He was went to Ryerson. That was didn't necessarily need to be the subject of the day. He just wanted to talk about Egerton Ryerson, and mm-hmm. the mask fell. Oh yeah, yeah. It, showed us his uh, true colors. What was that uh, Maya Angelou was famous for saying? When people show you who they really are, believe them. The first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, and it's the same thing like on, on the day of the apology. If you remember with uh, Pierre Poliev made his uh, little pronouncement on radio about, you know, you know, they just need a stronger work ethic. On the same day, as the, <sighs> This party, I tell you, I, I'm, mm, anyway. Neither progressive nor conservative. Yep. It's just, just the disrespect. <laughs> A note that the prime minister has ordered flags to be flown at half mast for an indefinite period of time to honor each of the 215 lives assumed to be heretofore unaccounted for. It is estimated that about 4,100 Indigenous children died while in residential schools, according to death records. But given the known until now numbered deaths at this school was about 50, and 215 were just found, that number is going to be way above 4,100. Just as was the case for locating the wrecks of the HMS Terror and HMS Erebus off the southwest coast of King William Island, the version of history as remembered and told by the community proved to be incredibly, reliably accurate. If you are feeling triggered, the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1-866-925-4419. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly, your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear, who is asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you, if you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, with the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now the website is ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Dollar, two dollars, 50 cents, whatever, whatever you can spare. It helps us with our production costs. Mr. Beaver. That's right, Mr. Grizzly. Uh, If you go to our coffee page... The recommended donation is $3, but it can really be anything you want, um, less or more, if you happen to like this show especially. Um, We reinvest uh, in the show. Uh, As you can tell, uh, the sound quality has improved 
since uh, episode one. And, uh, you know, we want to see where this show can go. Uh, hopefully we can maybe get some correspondence uh, one day, um, maybe film it uh, for YouTube. Uh, if uh, you guys have any suggestions of what you'd like to see the show become, of course, those are always welcome uh, because, you know, we do this for you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every little bit helps. And of course, if you can't afford anything and you just like the show, then please, you know, that's quite all right. Send us some comments. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, that means just as much to us, too. And don't forget the website, www.ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Thanks, eh? And we're back. As promised, kids, there were some news stories that we just never found place for in, for in our show. You know, they either got bumped by other stories or we just didn't have time. But we wanted to get around to them and we've saved them for just now. So let's do it. Topic one, a bountiful harvest. Things are going well for snow crab harvesters in Newfoundland and Labrador. Following several years of decline and uncertainty for the province's most valuable seafood product, there are now signs of a strengthening resource as federal regulators raise the overall quota to roughly 38,000 tons, which is a 30% year-over-year increase. We're seeing a lot of small crab, and small crab is the future. The resource is good, said Nelson Bussey of Port de Grave. In addition, the harvest opened at the beginning of April with a record price of nearly $6 per pound, thanks to skyrocketing retail demand for snow crab from U.S. consumers fueled by shelter-at-home restrictions. That rose to $7.60 per pound following a successful appeal to Canada's fish price-setting panel. The new price is more than double last year's. Derek Butler, executive director of the Association of Seafood Producers, claims the current price is too high and frets that it is divorced from our business structure and costs and swing the pendulum of markets significantly to harvesters. Butler also fears oversupply as boats rush to catch their quotas during the peak price period. He further worries that temporary changes to the employment insurance system, allowing for workers who reach a minimum of 125 hours to qualify for a grant of 300 hours so as to be eligible for benefits, is creating a shortage of workers. Without an adequate number of workers, there are warnings of delays and struggles in plant processing ability to keep with the harvest while ensuring quality does not slip. But if the issues are handled well, this combination of record prices and bigger quotas have market watchers predicting a potential $500 million season, which would be the best ever season in the Newfoundland and Labrador crab harvest. And they need a good season. Oh, yeah. Yes. Topic two, a necessary update. This past March, the expansion of Canada's assisted dying regime went into effect after the Senate accepted a revised version of Bill C-7. The law needed to be expanded because, for some reason that is still unclear, then Minister of Justice and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould insisted on writing a law that did not fully comply with the 2019 Quebec Superior Court ruling requiring the law in the first place and further insisted that the law she wrote was compliant when pretty much everyone was telling her the truth, that she was wrong, which later was confirmed by the Supreme Court. The bill received royal assent just over a week ahead of a final March 26th deadline imposed by the court, which had very, very generously and extraordinarily, given the sensitivity of the subject matter, granted not two, not three, but four extensions to respect the court's order. <sighs> With royal assent granted, intolerably suffering Canadians who aren't near death immediately gained the right to seek medical assistance in dying. While the government had originally intended to impose a blanket ban on assisted dying for people suffering solely from mental illnesses, Pressure from senators who believed that such a ban was unconstitutional convinced it to opt for a time-limited two-year ban during which an expert panel will advise on assisted dying safeguards and protocols that should apply to people with mental illnesses. Also, while the government rejected a Senate amendment to allow people who fear losing mental competence to make advanced directives, it committed to launching within 30 days a joint parliamentary committee committee to review that and other unresolved issues, including whether mature minors should be eligible. For Canadians who are suffering intolerably, this process has taken too long. 
but their wait is now over. Tweeted Justice Minister David Lemetti. This is an important milestone, but there is more work to do. Dying with Dignity Canada referred to the coming into effect of the legislation as a momentous day for end-of-life rights in Canada. Topic 3. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. In early May, Proud Boys Canada announced it was disbanding. And, of course, before it did, it denied being a terrorist or white supremacist group. Of course. That's, yes, of course. That's after the Canadian government in February officially said, but you are Blanche, you are a terrorist slash white supremacist group. For some of the members... My guess is the broing for the broing's sake wing. Being listed on the same group that lists Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State was probably a wake-up call for them and not something they wanted to be affiliated with. Said Jessica Davis, president of Insight Intelligence and a former senior strategic analyst with the Canadian Security and Intelligence Services. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a list I'd want to be on too, yeah, especially you know. if I'm just like you know, uh, you know, uh, sunshine patriot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're kind of uh, getting onto the permanent no-fly list of anything at any time, ever when you are uh, grouped in with those individuals, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. But they are still around. They still have those extremist ideas. What they end up doing next is the question. Warns Davis, explaining that some members may become more radicalized and might form new groups, join other existing groups, or shift their activities to the U.S. chapter. While that is definitely possible, you know what? For the moment, one less is one less. And for now, I'll take the win. It's a win. I'll take it. It, 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 It's probably, unfortunately, temporary, but it's still a win. Let's mm-hmm. take it, you know. Yep. We're 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 winning the series. We're uh, we're like the Habs right now, <laughs> going into the third round, and we can see we can see the Stanley Cup in sight. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Topic four: determination pays off. It took four years and three attempts. But finally, Bill C-3, a law requiring that new judges are properly trained in sexual assault law, received royal assent in Parliament in May. According to CTV, The legislation will require new federally appointed judges to agree to take training, including learning about rape myths and stereotypes, and how to make sure biases about race, gender, and other social factors do not influence their decisions. It will also require judges to put their reasons on the record when ruling on sexual assault cases. The legislation was originally a private member's bill tabled by former interim leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Rana Ambrose, presented in 2017. While it received support across parties in the House of Commons, certain sexist and misogynistic senators Ambrose refuses to name made a Waterloo of it. There were senators who knew that they could hold it up. They said things like, this will sway the legal system in favor of victims, which was the most bizarre thing I've ever heard because it was just about education and things like, this is just another part of the Me Too movement. Ambrose said in an interview. It was misogyny, without a doubt. Sexism and misogyny. And from corners I didn't expect. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, when she says bizarre, that that's that's the word that strikes me too. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like this, if we're talking about an education training thing, and you got a bunch of, I assume, old men uh, that are saying, "Hey, this might swing the system in favor of the victims." It kind of makes me wonder. You know, you know that that credit card commercial. What's in your wallet? Skeletons. What's in your closet? Skeletons in the closet. <laughs> like, oh, hello, Mister Bones. <laughs> You ever, oh you ever, God. I mean, what was it? Eddie Murphy did a thing years ago and I'm not going to get to the gist of it cause it was pretty sexist, but the gist of it was you're sitting there talking to somebody and, and so many skeletons in the closet that a bone flies out of her mouth when she's talking to you. <laughs> and that's all I can think of when it comes to oh. this. It's like, Oh really? You, you, you're protesting this and holding this up because, uh, huh, uh, huh. Sway the legal system in favor of victims. Well, 
Um, shouldn't it be that way anyway? <laughs> like, um, so what you're saying is you're guilty of sin of committing um, terrible, terrible crimes, and you want to be able to continue to get away with it. I don't know if I'll go that far to say it, but it makes I know, I'm me want to have somebody that will look into it. <laughs> I'm reaching, right? I'm, 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 I'm just taking one and one, putting them together, and seeing the number two. That's all. That's all. But it's my speculation. No accusation, and no names have been named, right? But it it, it makes you wonder why you would object on that. Basis. <laughs> well, that, that's like, why would you really? You would fight against that? That? They fought a long time. Yeah. Four tries. Yeah. The bill died when Parliament was dissolved for the 2019 election, but the Liberals made it a government bill to get around the Senate's shenanigans. Justice Minister David Lametti said that the new law will help ensure survivors of sexual assault are treated with respect and dignity in their interactions with the criminal justice system. We expect that these changes will have a broad and positive impact that reach beyond sexual assault matters. Judges will benefit from new tools and perspectives that they can apply in all of their work. Lametti generously gave full credit to Ambrose for championing the passage of this legislation, credit that was well-earned considering she kept pushing after having retired from federal politics. Rana's ongoing support and collaboration were important to getting this bill through the parliamentary process, and I wanted to thank her personally, for her commitment to this issue and to this legislation. While the new law will only apply to federally appointed judges and training will not be mandatory for those already on the bench, Lametti said the training will be available for all judges who wish to take it. We can't force judges who are currently sitting to undergo training, but we do hope that this will create a positive environment to receive that training. And hopefully we will, with time in particular, have a much better equipped bench that will instill confidence in Canadians. And that's for the benefit of everyone. Indeed it is. Mm, Indeed good job, Rona. Yes. Um, uh, you know, Rona's a friend, and I'm, I'm so happy for her that this, this was finally passed because she put her neck out there long after stepping away from politics altogether. She didn't have mm-hmm. to do this. No, she's got a good life now. Yeah, she's a private citizen. She did not have to do this. And it meant that much to her that she fought for it, you know, in retirement. I mean, she's working private sector, of course, but in retirement from politics and and fought for it. And, and, you know, I mean, the accolades are deserved. Yeah. When people say they're all the same, not true. Not true. Not true. Hey, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver. How you doing? I'm doing really well. I got something interesting in the mail this week. What's that? I got a book. Miss V and the Lettrous Lawyer. Oh, hey. You know what? I got the what? same thing, too. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently the Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Cool. Miss V is 60, trans, and classy sassy and a bit smart assy. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Not that I'm aware of. Oh my god, how awful would that be? That would be tragic. Tragic, totally tragic. Miss V and the Lettrous Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold, paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, dot com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading this. Welcome back, and thanks for staying with us. At this point in the show, Mr. Grizzly and I would like to offer our gratitude to the kids out there who have liked what we do and have kindly tipped us so that we may keep going. Our thanks go to Kit Chris for his kind support of our show and for encouraging us to keep up the good work. And to Kit Linda for generously being a two-time supporter and says that our show is fast becoming my favorite podcast. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah. More fuzzies. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I love that. It makes me feel good. Yeah. Thanks, Linda. Thank We'd say that you're fast becoming our favorite supporter, but that would probably hurt a lot of feelings. So we don't want to you know, offend I'll just sincerely thank you for your support and your encouragement. But you are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and thank you all for this great feedback we appreciate it so if you have a comment constructive criticism uh something you'd like to to talk about on the show news about something good that happened to you or something good in which you're involved do let us know you can write to us on our true north eager beaver page on facebook or by tweeting us at true eager we would be overjoyed to hear from you um, before we go, a few sports notes. A big congratulations goes out to Canadian tennis player and double specialist Sharon Fitchman, who, after returning to tennis following a two-year retirement, is playing the best tennis of her life. With partner Juliana Olmos from Mexico, Fitchman reached her first Grand Slam doubles quarterfinal in Australia and won her biggest title yet, the premier 1,000-level event in Rome. She is now ranked a career-high 27th in the world and higher than she was when she retired. That is some butt-kicking tennis. Uh, maybe she needed the two-year break, right? Just to clear her head, get away from it for a while, and then come back rejuvenated because it seems to yeah. have worked. And she's in love. Yeah, you know, that might be a contributing <laughs> factor, but who knows? Two years ago, she did not have a ranking. Boom, now she's 27th in the world. You know, that's, uh, that's a pretty sweet... Uh... <laughs> Jump That's in the pulse. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're a fan of Formula One racing, you probably know that the Canadian Grand Prix has been officially cancelled for this season, and it was replaced with uh, the Turkish Grand Prix in Istanbul, which will be uh, on air this weekend. But in an official statement, Formula One did have some good news. We are grateful for the efforts of the promoter and the authorities in Canada in the past few weeks to try and make the race happen. And we are pleased to announce a two-year extension to our partnership with the Canadian Grand Prix. We will work with the promoter to ensure those with tickets from the 2020 and 2021 races get the options of a refund or to transfer their tickets to next year's race and look forward to racing in Canada in 2022. Well, that was really cool of them to just extend the contract by two years. I, I think so, too. Uh, it, it, you know, it, they didn't have to. Mm -hmm. They really could have just said, yeah, we're done. You know, you had to cancel, not our problem. But uh, I guess in the end, they realized there's a big uh, racing community and there's money to be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. good for them. Yeah, and good for Montreal. Well, and that's the thing, because the amount of money that pours into Montreal during oh, yeah. Grand Prix weekend is insane. It's significant, yes. Really, you can't get a hotel for months. You have to book a year in advance, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's good for the city. Yeah. And finally, congratulations to Team Canada, who seemed dead and buried at one point and yet clawed their way back, like good Canadian boys they are, Hell yeah. to win the IIHF World Hockey Championship. It's gold, kitties. <laughs> they were That's playing sweet. our song. That is sweet. Uh, and congratulations to the Montreal Canadiens who also down and out <laughs> before taking off the leaves and took out the Jets in four straight. Get out the brooms because they're sweeping. Oh, man. Oh, could it be? 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 It's been since 1993. We haven't had a Stanley Cup in Canada. Could That's it right. Be? Could it you be? know what? It, it could be. It very well could be because I... You know, I watched the first series, I watched the second series, and their play has improved because mm -hmm. Winnipeg is a very good team. Don't kid yourself. Yes. But Carrie Hart. The Oilers in four. Or Carey Price, Carrie Hart. Carey Price has elevated his game. And, yeah. I mean, he's the best goaltender in the world, and I'm a goalie. Best goalie in the world when he's on his game. And right now, mm -hmm. he is on his game. Mm -hmm. And. They're scoring goals, which is not, you know, the Habs are, haven't been famous for that in the last few years. So, <laughs> okay. It's like, I've got my fingers crossed. Yes. Okay. I've got my arms crossed. I got my toes crossed. Yep. I got my eyes crossed <laughs> and I got my legs crossed. So, you know, what's is serious. <laughs> <laughs> that is some serious business, my friend. <laughs> oh. 
Well, kids, that's the end of this episode of the Eager Beaver podcast. We hope you had as good time listening to it as we had putting it together because, well, this one <laughs> was a yeah. bit of a struggle. Uh, we started recording this on May 30th and it is now June 8th because we had every single glitch possible. Oh, don't even, don't ask, don't ask, don't ask. So we apologize if the COVID update is now a little dated. <laughs> this is our lost episode. <laughs> yes, we'll consider it that. And we wanted to get it out to you because we did put a lot of effort into it. A lot more effort than normally we would have because my computer kept crashing. Uh, there was almost a computer tossed out the window onto Metcalf Street last night, but I decided against that. So... Mr. Grizzly was practicing for Tokyo 2020. Hell yeah. Discus, <laughs> discus. Uh, we welcome feedback in the form of compliments, bribes to be on the show. <clears throat> Farm boy gluten-free chocolate chip cookie ice cream sandwiches are particularly prized. <clears throat> Just saying. Constructive criticisms, gentle corrections if we got anything factually incorrect. Happy stories of things that have happened to you or your dear ones and participation in our listeners challenge. We want to see your spring has sprung pictures. You can do all of that on our Facebook blog page, the true North eager beaver or at true eager on Twitter. If you like this podcast, tell your friends, they can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, and Mixcloud. And finally, if you really, 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 really like this podcast and wish to encourage us to do more, we work for tips. Yes, Please feel free to buy a cup of uh, coffee for Mr. Grizzly here or a mug of hot chocolate for me via our coffee page at coffee.com backslash eager beaver. That's ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver, all in lowercase one word. Any uh, final thoughts for our listeners, Mr. Grizzly? Uh, well, you know, let's enjoy this hot, steamy summertime weather we have in early June. Ooh, in the hot, seamy summertime voice. Oh, yeah. From the Beaver Lodge. <laughs> I got one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. From the Beaver Lodge, this is your eager beaver saying, until next time, dear kids, it can be a tough world out there, so be kind to and gentle with yourselves. <laughs> Works for The True me. North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Copywritten by The Eager Beaver. Recording, production, editing by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. And thank you, dear listeners, for your patience. Yes, thank you very <laughs> we much. We love you. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.